Hello and welcome to the Securities Compliance Podcast presented by the National Society of Compliance Professionals, where it is our mission to help you put compliance in context. On today's show, we'll discuss Stephanie Avakian's departure from the SEC's Division of Enforcement. We'll have an update on the proposed marketing and advertising rules, some very interesting metrics regarding the investment advisor industry, and some new changes to the New York State Investment Advisor Representative Rules. For our interview segment, we welcome in Michelle Canella and Hope Brown to discuss the importance of diversity, of equity and inclusion in the financial services industry, and the importance of mentors. Finally, we'll wrap up today's show with another installment of the History Has Your Back series, where we offer a little old-school literature as a tribute to mentors everywhere. Diving into the headlines portion of the show, in a press release from December 11th, the SEC Division of Enforcement Director Stephanie Avakian will step down from her position by the end of the year. Mark Berger, currently Division of Enforcement Deputy Director, will serve as Acting Director. Among her other accomplishments, Ms. Avakian is credited with leading the Division of Enforcement in recommending more than 3,000 enforcement actions brought by the SEC, obtaining more than $17 billion in financial remedies, returning $3.6 billion to harmed investors, and paying nearly $600 million in total whistleblower awards. I think the thing to take away here is that Director Avakian leaves behind a very impressive record as the leader of the SEC's Division of Enforcement. She was very well liked and respected by both the SEC staff and defense counsel who sat across from her from the table. She will definitely be missed in the role. On the marketing and advertising front, the Securities and Exchange Commission recently pulled a highly anticipated discussion of the changes to the Investment Advisors Act advertising rules from its agenda. The commissioners were expected to discuss updating, quote, rules that govern investment advisor marketing to accommodate the continual evolution and interplay of technology and advice while preserving investor protections. As a reminder, the marketing and advertising rules have not been updated since 1961, making the general idea of amending the rules a very welcome change in the industry. If adopted, the final amendments will address many of the themes and issues the industry has raised throughout the years, including more principles-based general prohibitions, the use of testimonials and endorsements, the distinction between retail and sophisticated investors, and the use of performance advertising, among many, many others. It is unclear at this point if and when the SEC will take up the proposed amendments to the rule. Also recently, the Investment Advisor Association and National Regulatory Services released their Evolution Revolution Report on the state of the investment advisor industry. Although the information comes from before the COVID-19 pandemic, it did offer some very valuable insights. According to the annual report, the typical SEC registered investment advisor has eight employees, 141 accounts, and over $340 million in regulatory assets under management. With regard to industry concentration, it's interesting. There's a fairly a small group of advisors managing a majority of the RAUM in the industry. The number of advisors managing over $100 billion represents only 1.3% of all SEC registered advisors, yet this group manages almost 64% of all of the regulatory assets under management in the industry. One of the other really interesting statistics here, and I think a key takeaway, is the continued steady rise of the number of investment advisors, up from 11,000 in 2014 to about 14,000 in 2020. 
Uh, this is, of course, in stark comparison to the relatively steady decline in the number of broker-dealers, down from about 4,000 to about 3,500 during the same time period. While there are, of course, many causes for the decline in the number of broker-dealers, I think one of the things we have to consider is that regulation may have some share of the responsibility for that decline. There has been some concern, uh, for instance, that the adoption of regulation best interests would do significant damage to the business of providing, again, quote, full service brokerage. In this regard, it would be interesting to know how many of the remaining broker dealers, uh, one, actually make a business out of providing full service brokerage, and two, are duly registered firms that provide advice to natural persons wearing potentially their you know advisor hats and charging advisory fees rather than uh, primarily you know having activities through their broker dealer. Finally, the state of New York recently enacted some changes to the state's IAR rules. These changes will require the registration of investment advisor representatives, including principals, supervisors, and solicitors, through the FINRA IARD portal beginning February 1st, 2021. Prior to the rule change, New York was the last state, the only state that did not license investment advisor representatives via the FINRA, via the FINRA IARD system. Rather, New York State relied upon Form NY uh, IAQ. Um, and again, it's estimated that as a result of this new requirement, uh, there will likely be 14,000 investment advisor representatives that will be entering that system around that February timeframe. One of the topics that has really started to come to the forefront in 2020 for a number of different reasons, but certainly has been a consistent topic at the top of the financial services industry over the last several years is the issue of diversity and inclusion. And you've even seen uh, in many instances, some of the regulators really starting to get interested in this topic as well. And so you're seeing many organizations like the NSCP really start to take a much more active role in this space. And I think really start to engage in the subject matter area in ways that are really, really productive. And it is part of uh, that engagement uh, that I am really, really excited to welcome in today two incredible guests who have been a part of that effort from the NSCP and active um, in their companies as well in the diversity, equity, and inclusion effort there. So I would like to, and they are also both board members, I will add, of the NSCP Board of Directors. Very accomplished. Uh, I'd like to introduce first Hope Brown. Hope joined Calvert in 2016 as Vice President and Chief Compliance Officer. Uh, she uh, focuses on Calvert Research and Management and Calvert Funds. She's responsible for all aspects of the advisor and funds compliance programs. Um, she's worked in the financial services industry since 1995 and has a wealth of experience in mutual fund, investment advisor, and broker-dealer compliance, as well as risk management and vendor management and oversight. Welcome, Hope would also like to welcome in the current chair of the board of directors, Ms. Michelle Canella. Michelle serves as director of risk and compliance at Intech Investment Management. Uh, she is a solutions-focused compliance professional with over 20 years of industry experience overseeing daily compliance, ensuring company activities comply with relevant regulatory requirements, as well as applicable policies and procedures. Prior to joining Intech in 2002, Ms. Canella served as an investment consultant at Ryan Beck & Company. Welcome, Michelle. Hello. So, I am so 
I guess excited and, and really, really amped to talk to you both today about a lot of the diversity, equity, inclusion efforts that the NSCP has started to do, but even more importantly, just in the broader sense, how this subject matter area is really impacting our investment management industry and what are ways that I think a lot of the practitioners and compliance professionals who are engaged in this podcast, right, can continue to really grow in their own understanding of, of the issue. And so I guess maybe just to start, I guess this is kind of a question for both of you, but but maybe I'll I'll kick it over to Michelle first, which is that, you know, tell us a little bit about the actual kind of differences between the terms, because I think that's really important for our audience to understand and be able to articulate in a thoughtful way, what is diversity, what is equity, and what is inclusion? Definitely. Well, diversity is more the quantitative representation of differences. So basically, it's just a measurement. So think of it as the boxes on a form or an application where it asks you if you're male or female, and you're checking off boxes for the different age ranges. It's basically just measuring all the differences of the group within a, for, a, a firm or organization and being able to see the differences on a kind of like a quantitative or quantifiable like forum. These, these categories uh, actually include and are not limited to like race, color, ethnicity, religion, socioeconomic status, veteran status, so on and so forth. Now, when we go and we start discussing inclusion, it's inclusion is diversity and the qualitative experience around those differences. So it's authentically bringing the traditionally excluded individuals, you know, the outliers uh, that you would not see in meetings every day and bringing them into your group and into the processes and activities and decision policy making in a way that shares the power and ensures equal access to those opportunities and resources. Inclusion is important because when focusing on the qualitative experiences of differences, what we're really trying to push is both authenticity, which is you're able to be yourself, where you can do you, and still attract opportunities and collaborate on an equal level on, that ba on the basis of that difference. So without equality, equity, excuse me, without equity, diversity and inclusion, diversity and inclusion are not really possible. Equity is the process of recognizing the historical legacies and current realities of discrimination and prejudice that people from marginalized communities experience. You said something that I thought was really, really interesting, and I wanted to kind of delve a little deeper on it um, because you talked about how, and I guess maybe a good, a good follow-up question would be, is there a way that you could give us like an example, right, of, of where you see, okay, this is diversity, this is inclusion, and then this is equity. Let's see. Diversity, well, again, that's just easy, right? Because right. it's just check boxes. This, this is really no, no different illustration other than here's A, here's B, here's C, and this is how many of A and B and C we have, right? Got, got it. So that's diversity. Inclusion would be recognizing that's this is probably where your unconscious bias comes in recognizing the fact that you may not be a like a, a little bit more collaborative or think of someone in particular because of your own experiences so the best way to explain it would be like if you're having a conversation with someone and all of a sudden somebody mentions skiing right so you're all talking about skiing all of a sudden there's three out of four people in a, in a group talking about skiing 
I'd be the odd man out. I have never skied in my life, right? Inclusion would be if somebody said, oh, have you ever been skiing? No, and, and just asking me the question, well, would you give it a try? And all this other, and, and other questions to kind of bring that person into that conversation. Mm -hmm. um, that would be a, a, basically an effort to include the person that otherwise would have never been included in that conversation just because they've never been skiing. Got it. So then talk to me a little bit about equity, right? Because I think that's a tough concept for people to really grasp in the sense of people talk about equality. People talk about wanting everybody to have an equal playing field and other stuff like that. But, but equity is something a little bit more, right? Yeah. And then also that's not to be confused with equality, right? So right. you remember Oprah back in the day, and then she, uh, she'd have her favorite thing show and she'd be like, you get a car, you get a car, you get, everybody gets a car. Everybody's getting the exact same car, right? Sure. That's equality. Everybody gets the same, whatever, whatever car, let's yeah. update it. Everybody gets the same Tesla, right? Now, now we're talking. That's equity. I know, right? <laughs> that's, that's equality, right? Equity would be adjusting that Tesla to accommodate the recipient, right? So the best illustration I have, and this is what really drove it home to me, I saw a picture that demonstrated you know, equality and equity, and they gave everybody a bike, right, in the picture. And you had a child, an older gentleman with a cane, and then someone in a wheelchair. And then you give the bike to everybody. And the bike means something different to each one because the child's too short to use it. The older gentleman with a cane may, most likely may not be able to use it. And the person in the wheelchair really can't use it. Equity and the, and the image of the equity uh, depiction was more of that bicycle was a, adapted to the recipient. So the child got a child bike. Mm -hmm. The older gentleman with the cane got, you know, one of the more stable bikes, a bigger tricycle style. And then the one in the wheelchair got a modified wheelchair with it acted like a bicycle, had all of the nice little slim, slim tires and so on and so forth. That's equity. It's being able to accommodate everyone's differences so that everyone's pretty much at the same level of benefit. Got it. That's a really, I appreciate that additional context there. And I do honestly think, cause these aren't easy concepts to grapple with. So being able to lay them out in a way like that, where people can understand by using those, those examples, I think is really helpful. So thank you for the background on the terminology specifically. Another thing that I'd really like to do is talk about, um, and, and maybe hope I'll, I'll kind of start with you here on this one. And then would love to hear from you too, Michelle, about small steps or things that you've done inside your companies to help enhance some of this DEI awareness within your organization and things that you can do so that again, again, these are difficult concepts, but we obviously know that they're really important topics. And so we want to start that conversation. So, so what are ways that you've done that kind of inside your firm? Uh, thank you, Patrick. I think there are some things that people can do is really educate themselves. I think the key to diversity, equity, and inclusion begins with education, education for yourself and education for your organization as well. So that was one of the initial things that I did within my organization. We met with colleagues at other organizations. We spoke to different advocacy groups. 
um, we read a lot of materials, TED Talks, videos, et cetera, to really educate ourselves really on what Michelle spoke about earlier. What is D, what is E, what is I to lay the foundation to ensure that we're speaking the same language? I think in addition, NSCP has a diversity and inclusion committee and we've developed a resource page and with a plethora of resources. The focus of that committee really is to ensure that we have DNI within the NSCP membership, but the broader purpose is to really, for members of the NSCP, to take those resources, to take everything that they're learning from the committee and take it back to their firms and broaden the reach across the financial services organization. That's really great. What about what about you, Michelle? Were there certain things that you, as you were, again, looking to kind of start to incorporate, again, some of these small ways, right, that you can help your uh, help inside your company, things that you can do to help increase that awareness? Were, were there things that, that you did? Well, first and foremost, I really believe that in order to effectuate change, you should change yourself first, or at least be aware of yourself first. So Forbes came out with an article back in June, and it's called Dear White People, Here are 10 Actions You Can Take to Promote Racial Justice in the Workplace. I'm sorry, I found that very eye-catching, so I had to read it. So it lists like 10, like top 10 things you can do. Out of them, like I gleaned five that I felt were really good and relatable to people. And I started asking myself these questions and I, in conversations that did come up with colleagues, I, you know, I started telling them about this and they asked themselves these same questions. And one of them is, the number one is get to know more people of color. It's easy to fall victim to stereotypes or bigoted thinking when you don't personally know people from a community or you're ignorant of their culture. And if it took you more than 15 seconds to come up with someone of color, you should go back to the fact that get to know more people of color. <laughs> go, go back to number one. Yeah, but, go back yeah. to number one. Uh, you can join a diversity committee. If there isn't one, you can start one. Like uh, at our firm, uh, the colleague of our of mine, she started the Women of Intech, and we actually meet. I want to say like probably bi-monthly, and discuss issues relating to uh, being a female in the workplace and the pressures that women kind of are subject to and or how to come our own um, insecurities in the workplace and where to, how do you find your voice. So it's kind of like a coaching session, like bi-monthly or so. And again, diverse topics. I think the last one had to do with uh, managing your time more effectively, you know, that there is no such thing as work-life balance, just to give you an example. So if there isn't something like that, start one. If there is something like that, join it. Another one, another tidbit is to encourage objective selection processes. Unconscious bias often encourages decision makers to prefer one candidate over another, right? So maybe the subjectivity you know, leads to a preference for one vendor over another. So to reduce this, there are steps that a firm can take to do more of a blind review. Like having one person that's not part of the decision-making process, kind of like assign an alphanumeric number to, let's say the due diligence packet or whatever, and then provide that to the decision makers for them to vet and process. And then they don't know the, the name of the company or the name of the person for, that's applying for the, for the job because they're looking at just the facts. They're not okay. seeing a name to sway them. Oh, this name reminds me of somebody who was so rude. I don't want to even talk to them. You know, it removes all of that subjectivity from it. So you can try doing small things like that where you can apply it. And then one of the last ones is challenge your own stereotypical beliefs. To change your behaviors and actions, you need to start with changing your own thought, 
thoughts. Identify your own deeply embedded stereotypes or bigoted thoughts. As a child, did your grandparents or your parents make disparaging remarks about people of color? And maybe that's why you have this thought process whenever you see somebody who's A or B, you know? If you haven't had directed haven't had direct experiences, like a lot of us uh, that have gone on to like a four-year four college, like when you go away, you know, you're on your own. So you start experiencing things completely different and you're in an environment where at a university or a college, there's people from all over. So sometimes that helps you start kind of changing because you start meeting students from all over the world or even just all over the, the United States, as an example, um, in some more homogenous lo locations. And that starts opening your eyes to things that you weren't exposed to before. So you start questioning yourself. You start learning a little bit more about yourself and why you feel the way you do. And maybe you can make some changes so that you're not so, I guess, judgy right off right off the bat. Yeah, I, I, I really, really like how you framed that. And one of the things that I really like the most about it is that it's at the individual level. Like these are things that, that we all can can do on our own. I think that's part of some of the, um, I don't know, like hesitation from folks who maybe don't exactly know, like, well, where do I get started? You know, like DE and I, okay, I mean, maybe I have a better understanding of what that means now, but like, how could I ever, you know, make a difference, affect things inside my company, whatever else. And it's like, you know what, there are little things that you can do on your own right? That, that helped to start that change at an individual level. And I, I love the hiring suggestion, right? To remove some of that bias right up, right, right off from kind of the get go of when you're bringing in candidates to, to, to take a look at them. And the other thing that you mentioned, it's really important. Actually, it reminds me of something that I, I wanted to ask hope. You talk about this idea that you started this group, you know, inside Intact that that uh, for women, right? And there's a uh, there's a, a meeting, and you, you meet on a on a consistent basis, and there's a certain level of kind of feedback and coaching and other stuff that goes on. And I, one of the things that has struck me recently, and and this is where hope I'd really love to pick your brain a little bit, is this idea of mentoring and coaching and, and even sponsorship, I guess I would say. And so I'd, I would love to hear a little bit more about one, the importance of that aspect in DE&I efforts, but then also um, I would love to hear about, you know, essentially how the NSCP might be able to actually even help your own individual firms maybe take the first step in, in that direction. Excellent question and one of my favorite topics, actually, Patrick. So um, I think that mentors and sponsors are both critical to success of any professional and in our particular case, compliance professionals. I think in particular for women and for people of color who typically have fewer interactions with leaders within financial services organizations. I will say first, I think people get mentorship and sponsorship confused or some people have not even heard of sponsorship before. Mm -hmm. And that really being a mentor is around having someone provide you guidance and support on specific topics, whether that's public speaking or organizational skills or building relationships. It's identifying anyone in your professional life you think has skills that you're interested in and, and, and has skills that really you admire and you would like to learn from. And then sponsors are those, it's one step further. They're, those people are advocates for you. 
they go above and beyond to advance your career and they actively sort of they they are basically your voice in the room when you are not there and i think if you're lucky enough to have a mentor who becomes a sponsor that's when really it's so fortunate and impactful for your life but i think that you need both in, in, in your professional career I think you have mentors who help you along the way, and then you have sponsors who really advocate for equity for you, for promotions, for projects, for opportunities um, along your career path. And I think it's particularly challenging in this remote environment to maybe build those relationships, but leveraging the use of technology is key to set up coffee chats and virtual lunches um, in order to continue your professional development. Yeah, no, that's great. Talk to, talk a little bit more because one, you make some excellent points there. Um, a couple I'd like to delve a little deeper on, including, you know, how getting the getting the opportunities right for women and for people of color and others to find those different opportunities. It's not always something that, at least for for me personally, I know one of the things that our firm tries to do where I feel like there can be ways that companies themselves, or in this case, an organization like the NSCP can provide the right outlets, right? So that like there's a mentoring program in place Imagine if the members of the NSCP, right, like took it upon themselves to get involved in that program, then you can immediately start to make a really dramatic impact in that space. Actually, it's that to do that is very easy. In the member center, when you log in for NSCP.org, there is a, a section for uh, regarding mentorship and you can sign up to either be a mentor or a mentee and they kind of match you with other members with similar goals or maybe somebody that can help support you. It's a real simple web form and it's done for you. And then once you, I believe once you get matched, you contact each other and kind of set up the way you want to communicate, whether it's text, email, a monthly, bi-monthly or call or infrequent call or as needed call, but it's very simple to do. That's fantastic. Yeah, I actually, I currently am in the program and we try to do the, the bi-weekly call stuff, but I'm so glad that you mentioned that, Michelle, because that is just it. Like a, a big part of that was wanting to take the first step to like, just say, okay, yeah, I'm willing to do this. And it's so funny. I mean, look, I'm sure this is something that you both have experienced as well. Although I would actually be interested to hear your thoughts on it because you both are very accomplished women and, and have risen to high ranks in your own careers. And so at this point, there are probably many younger women or younger men or anybody at your firms that look up to you, right? And that, and that, and would, would consider you to be a, a person, a, a leader that they would want to emulate. It's funny though, when you, as you have started to go into those positions and maybe you've taken on the position of mentor, what have you gotten out of that program, right? I mean, like, you know, you, you are supposed to be the mentor often imparting, you know, a uh, certain wisdom or in the hope you did an excellent job. I thought of breaking down that difference between mentorship versus sponsorship, right? Where a sponsor can really be the advocate for that person in the room. But I, I would be interested to hear what, what you all have gleaned and if there's been, you know, benefits that you've taken away when you've served in those roles. Actually, funny you should say, sorry, Hope, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I want to say this first. Hope and I had a discussion and I had told her, I was like, I've never signed up to be a mentor because I don't feel like 
I could show anybody anything because I'm constantly feeling like I'm trying to improve myself and I don't see myself as accomplished. I'm just constantly looking for something new to delve into some more knowledge to gain. And I discuss things with colleagues that I know, you know, like bounce ideas off so I can perfect myself, perfect my craft. And so I'm, I've never seen myself in the light of being a mentor, but she said differently. She said that what's, that's just it. There are people out there that want to learn how to, or, you know, feel comfortable with somebody who's constantly trying to better themselves. So and until I had that conversation with her, I honestly thought I wasn't good enough, <laughs> to be honest. And I think that many people think that, but I think everyone has something to offer. Everyone has areas that they are excellent and that other people would glean and want to be a part of. And that's what I told Michelle. I think that for NSCP, we have so many accomplished seasoned professionals and people who are not as tenured who could be mentors in the program. And then we have so many people who I'm sure could be mentees. And it doesn't mean that one is looking is less than the other. It could be that you could have someone who's a very seasoned person who maybe is nervous with public speaking. Mm -hmm. And they've been in the business for 25 years and public speaking lends, I think, a lot to executive presence, especially for compliance professionals. And there's someone who wants to be a mentor to them and would, would really be interested in helping them. And I think that that's something that NSCP, NSCP offers. We have so many accomplished professionals. And I feel like mentors and mentees can come from any place within the, within the membership and help you completely. And I and as to Michelle, what she said earlier, I, I think for me, I would say to your question, Patrick, what I, I have probably four or five ment mentees right now. So, and I, I think I've learned just as much from them but I think if I had imposter syndrome over the years, being a mentor helps you with that. And I think that for me, I've become more confident, more self-aware, more self-assured over these past four or five years in particular. And I think it's important for all of us, especially women and people of color, to really kind of lift other people as you climb up in your career and also pay back for people who have been helpful to you. And I, and I mentioned to Michelle earlier that when I was nervous about even speaking at an NSCP panel a few years ago, someone had sent me a quote that basically said, when you let your life shine, when you let your light shine, you give others permission to do the same. And every time I'm nervous about presenting at a panel or speaking in public, I think about that. If we really want to have more women, more people of color, more differently abled people, then we have to have role models and representation out there. Representation matters. And I think being a mentor to a mentee is a, is a great step to start that process. <laughs> That is so cool. One, I, I love that quote that you said. Michelle, I want to circle back to something that you mentioned because when I was doing the trailer episode for this podcast, and like again, the, the whole theme is to for those that are in this space, for the the compliance officers, for the legal practitioners who want to help them elevate their own careers and their own understanding of of their professional development and obviously technical expertise, right? In the space. And I almost used there's a Japanese concept of Kaizen, which is the uh, um, art of continuous improvement, basically. Like you're you're constantly wanting to improve yourself. You're con and I, I loved that concept. I I'd ultimately, I didn't put it into the, the kind of opening episode, but you reminded me of it right then. And it's so, so important and so cool. And I think that's probably, I think that humility 
that you're kind of sharing a little bit with us now there is probably one of the reasons why you would make an excellent mentor, right? And I'm sure why it makes sense for you and hopefully many other folks that are listening to today's podcast that are also NSCP members to get involved in, go down that, go down that path. I, I speaking of involvement in the NSCP, um, and I, this was something else I wanted to touch on just because of how much you have done during the course of your career for, uh, for, you know, the larger organization, Michelle, uh, recently took on the role of chair of the board of directors. And so, um, as we are getting ready to finish up 2020, I'm sure many people are, are excited about that, excited about that and getting into 2021, but would really like to hear, you know, some of your thoughts on what are some of the things that you are focused on, right? Over the course of, of the next year and just some of the other items that, that you are uh, hoping to tackle in your role as chair of the board uh, for, for the NSCP. Definitely. If there's anything that we've learned from the pandemic that it, that it has made it certain is that uncertainty is the only thing that is certain. So uh, <laughs> with that, um, the board actually uh, prioritized a few initiatives um, a, a few months ago, and I'm looking forward to actually kind of just implementing these initiatives because they're great. They're great for the organization. They're great for all of the members and for the industry. Through the recently formed regulatory advisory board, NSCP is going to continue to initiate contact for formal meetings with the regulators. The regulatory advisory board will also review any proposed or amended regulations released and determine if the NSCP should comment and how. Most importantly, NSCP hopes to leverage these relationships of the members of the regulatory advisory board and explore if regulators are willing to partner with NSCP on joint programs, which we we believe are just going to be great education and great collaboration. We uh, The NSCP also uh, initiated the education committee, committee recently, and they're going to work with partners, service providers, and academic institutions to offer joint programs, events, and webinars. The education committee is also going to define uh, what is basic, intermediate, and advanced. So when you go to take a comp, you know, one of the conference sessions, you know what the definition is, so you know what to sign up for. And that's also going to translate on to any training materials that we're going to develop because NSCP is also going to create some life cycle, life cycle educational training modules to meet the needs of the, those new to the industry and seasoned compliance professionals. Um, another exciting thing is how great the CSCP program is doing. We have quite a few people um, actually completing the program soon. That is really cool. And I, again, that is, I think, a hallmark of one of the things that makes the NSCP so special for people like you, people like me that are practicing in the space and, and, and part of the, the industry, it's that ability to really help educate and inform and, and ultimately lift everybody up. Right. Yeah. Which is that, I think that's, it's just so cool. People of, you know, all career paths and, and at all career levels can benefit from a lot of the program programming that, that the NSCP has. And, and this is just another facet of that. And, and also really like um, glad to hear that the NSCP is going to be so involved at uh, you know, with, with the regulators before we get you out of here, we've got to do a fun question. 
because we've talked a lot about um, uh, some very, I think, uh, important and significant and and, and sometimes uh, concepts that that uh, can be difficult to wrap your arms around. So we're going to end with some more fun stuff. So let's get into. All right. So uh, for each of you, what is the number one place you are going to go visit? when there are you are completely free to go wherever you want there's no threat of the pandemic and basically all travel restrictions are lifted i would say the uh italy i was supposed to go there in september and we canceled so i hope to go there next year i would say that's a reschedule of where i was planning to go because i've been home for almost a year and been watching the hallmark channel so much vancouver is on my list as well vancouver is actually on my list well, because that's where most of the Hallmark movies are taped. I'm sorry, I laugh because I'm in the same boat with you. I'm watch some feel-good TV and no more news, and I switch to Hallmark, and I feel the same way about. I'm like all of a sudden, I told my husband, I was like, "We need to go to Canada." <laughs> like, this is beautiful country. I was like, "Yeah, you know." Is there, is there like a gazebo in Vancouver that everybody has to go to? I don't know. It's, it's just Vancouver. That's all I know based on the yeah. news. Oh. All of their shots. It's either Vancouver and I think they did some in Quebec and, or, you know, like some of yeah. the other stuff. But it's, it is like, all it really right. is still good movies. But I have to say real quickly, we also had to cancel our family trip to Europe. It was like uh, we were going to London. We were going to stay in Ireland for a few days in Mayo in the uh, Mayo County and things like that. So we're going to just keep parlaying that and pushing it forward and hoping that we get to actually make that trip because that was a lot of saving and a lot of planning on our own. To oh, make sure. Happen. Yeah. So we're, we're you know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm jealous. You'll have to tell me how the trip to Ireland is. I, I, it's, it's funny. I haven't been over yet, even though I actually have extended family in County Leitrim. So like, it's a, it's a must. I've got to get over there, but haven't been able to yet. So I'll, I'll live vicariously until, until I've got a three-year-old at home and one on the way. So big, big, <laughs> big, big trips aren't exactly yeah, we, in the, yeah. 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 Ours are, ours are eight and That's why we're, we're, doing, <laughs> that's what we're doing. We're visiting kind of like a fire department apartment family. My husband's a firefighter. So uh, one of the members retired, moves to Mayo. So we're like, this is a great opportunity. We'll hang out with them and travel around and see all the wild Atlantic coast. It's awesome. That's awesome. I hope Michelle, I can't thank you enough for coming on, on the podcast today. Really, really appreciate the conversation, which was awesome and chock full of amazing content. Thank you again so much. And uh, hopefully we'll get to have you back on the show here at some point. Thank you for having me. I had a great time. So did I. This was great. Thank you, Patrick. Today's final segment features another installment in the History Has Your Back series. As a quick reminder for some of our new listeners, this segment represents the part of the podcast where we go back in time to help us better understand the present and help define where we're headed in the future. In today's History Has Your Back, it's not just about where we're headed in the future, but how we can define it specifically, how we can shape it. During the interview portion of today's show, we talked about the importance of mentors and sponsors as it relates to our own professional development. For many legal and compliance practitioners listening to this show, Many of us can probably remember a time where someone stepped up and helped us along the way, provided us guidance, and made us feel secure to share with them what we were thinking and how we were feeling. 
by creating that environment of trust and safety, we were able to continue growing and thriving into our most authentic selves professionally and personally, and, and hopefully advancing in our careers along the way. In light of this, and in light of the wonderful comments from our guest today, I would encourage everyone listening to this podcast to elevate themselves and their firms by finding ways to connect with others on your team, inside your company, and for those NSCP members, by logging into the NSCP portal and signing up to be a mentor or a mentee. Our ability to make these connections with individuals of all colors and backgrounds truly enhances the quality of those serving in our industry and the diversity and quality of perspectives we can bring to bear. So some of you may be asking, well, that's a really nice message, but what does all of that have to do with history? Well, the key date here is 110 years ago. In the year 1910, Rudyard Kipling published a poem that carries with it the kind of invaluable counsel that only a true mentor could provide. And every time I read it, it reminds me of my late father, the greatest mentor I have ever known. As a tribute to my father this holiday season, and in a spirit of gratitude to mentors everywhere, I present to you the poem If by Rudyard Kipling. If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. If you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowance for their doubting too. If you can wait and not be tired by waiting, or being lied about, don't deal in lies. Or being hated, don't give way to hating, and yet don't look too good, nor talk too wise. If you can dream and not make dreams your master, if you can think and not make thoughts your aim, if you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two impostors just the same, if you can bear to hear the truth you've spoken, twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools, or watch the things you gave your life to, broken, and stoop and build them up with worn-out tools, if you can make one heap of all your winnings and risk it on one turn of pitch and toss, and lose and start again at your beginnings, and never breathe a word about your loss. If you can force your heart and nerve and sinew to serve your turn long after they're gone, and so hold on when there is nothing in you, except the will which says to them, hold on. If you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue, or walk with kings nor lose the common touch, if neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you, if all men count with you, but none too much, if you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, yours is the earth and everything that's in it. And which is more, you'll be a man, my son. And that will do it for today's show. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Calfi and the National Society of Compliance Professionals, and extend a big thank you to our guests, Michelle Cannella and Hope Brown. Please join us again next time on the Securities Compliance Podcast, where we help you put compliance in context. But before we talk to you next, I'd like to wish everyone a happy holidays and extend a huge thank you to all of our guests we've had on the show this year. And to all of you, our listeners that have made this show so much fun to do. And we want to hear from you. Please continue to send us questions and give us your feedback by checking us out on LinkedIn. You can search for the Compliance and Context podcast 
or on Twitter using the handle at CompliancePod. You can like us and subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you find your favorite podcasts, or go to ComplianceAndContextPodcast.com to listen and learn more.